Good morning. I'm so glad you're here this morning. I'm Deborah Layton. We're going to be looking at the idea of responding. Yeah, let's turn that off. Thank you. I was going to just talk over it, but that would have been too much. Well, so I'm Deborah Layton. We're here to listen and learn about responding to grace as a family, what it means to train your child to love their neighbor. And so, as as you can see, I don't have any children of my own, but I was a child once, and I have 11 nieces and nephews, so I've seen a lot of child rearing in the last 15 years. Um, But we're also going to hear from a couple of Adventers about what this looks like in their own family um, towards the end of the class. But as we begin, let's begin with prayer. Dear Lord Jesus, we thank you for your work in our hearts, your work through worship, the way you turn our hearts to face you like sunflowers turning to face the sun, the way you move us out of love and devotion because of your great love for us. And we ask now, Lord, as we look into your word to learn more about what it means to follow you, we ask, Lord, that you would continue to transform us into your likeness, that even beholding your face because of your atonement, because we are bought and redeemed, that through that, through your grace, we might Um, become more like you, that we might give you glory and praise and honor, and that your church would be built up. So we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. There's more room. Come on in. I can't promise a handout, but I'm sure people will be glad to share if you want to look on with someone else. Um, So again, this morning, beginning to talk about what it means to respond to, to grace as a family, I thought I had to begin with family itself. And I don't know, I have not read a lot of parenting books, so parents in the room, you tell me, do people talk about this when they talk about parenting as Christians or not? You can just say, no, Deborah, no one talks about this. But um, when I think about raising children, I can't help but think about the creation mandates. So we're going to look first, we're going to start at the very beginning of the Bible, we're going to look first at Genesis chapter 1, and I've given you the passage there on your little sheet in front of you. Does someone want to read what's on the sheet for all of us? Anyone feel bold and brave? It is being recorded, but no one will say your name. Just the creation mandates, both of them? Or? Yeah, yeah, the whole, all of the um, verses from Genesis that you see there. All Genesis, okay. The whole book of Genesis. <laughs> yeah. Genesis 1, 26 through 28. Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his image, and the image of God he created him. Male and female he created them. And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Thank you. So we see here on this, the sixth day of creation, God has created the heavens and the earth. He's created um, fish of the sea, birds of the air. Then here on the sixth day of creation, he creates the pinnacle, the crowning glory of creation, which is man, male and female. He created them. And I love when you look at Genesis 2, my um, Old Testament professor in seminary always said that 
Yes, God created the pinnacle of creation on day six, and the pinnacle of the pinnacle was the creation of woman, which happens very last. So, ladies, that's that's for us right here today. Well, there he creates male and female. He creates them. And in this first account of how the Lord created man and woman, what he does, we hear these commands in verse 28. And we hear two basic commands. Number one, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. That's the number one. And number two, subdue the earth and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Do you remember that these are the two creation mandates? Here we have this command that, first of all, all of the creation is to be populated. He's encouraging with his blessing, go ahead, Adam and Eve, let's go for it. Let's make lots of human beings. Um, Let's populate the earth. Let's make lots of babies here. So there is this idea of being fruitful in the multiplication of human beings. So congratulations. If you have children, you have already done this. Bravo. Well, there's also this idea of dominion, dominion over all of creation. And this dominion is not a dominion that's exercised on our own behalf as men and women. It's rather, it's more like a stewardship. Um, And the best example of this, of course, is if you ever hear me teach on anything, it's not me teaching unless I draw from Lord of the Rings. But if you know know the Lord of the Rings trilogy, what you know is that there is a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom. The southern kingdom has a steward instead of an actual king. And over the centuries, the king never returned. And so those stewards of the southern kingdom began to act like kings instead of like stewards who are holding onto the kingdom and ruling with another king in mind, ruling on behalf of the king who would return and claim his throne. And so what we have to remember when we look at this dominion mandate is that we are really, as we exercise dominion and lordship, as we exercise any kind of authority over the created order, what we're doing is we're doing that on God's behalf. We are here in the flesh exercising his rule and his reign and ultimately that rule of that um, command for dominion is made manifest most totally in the perfect man the only one who could rule without sin Jesus Christ himself he is king of kings and lord of lords and so in the new testament mindset when we look at this creation mandate we are actually daughters and sons of the king exercising his dominion over the over the earth doing so with love and care looking out for the needs of others looking out for the needs of all creation and within this um, there can be no kingdom where there are not citizens and um, and so within the kingdom if there are not obedient citizens who would say this is my king I'll do whatever he says then it's not really a kingdom is it When Jesus comes into um, Galilee proclaiming the kingdom of God is in your midst, what he's really saying is, I'm the king and I'm here. So the kingdom of God is here. Well, the kingdom of God is wherever Jesus is proclaimed as king and Lord. And to be able to say Jesus is Lord is to be a Christian, to be one who would say, um, yes, Lord, take my life and let it be ever, always, all for thee. We cannot say yes Lord without believing that Jesus is who he says he is and without desiring to follow him so in some ways as New Testament New Testament believers when we are exercising exercising and obeying these creation mandates we are essentially raising up other people when you combine multiplication and this exercise of dominion we are raising up other people who would call Jesus Lord 
who would be citizens of the kingdom of God, who would say, Jesus is my king, he is my Lord, I will worship him. I'll worship him in what I say on Sunday morning, the way I sing, the way I read, the way I confess my faith. I'll worship him in the way I live out my life, that all of my week, all of the hours of my week would be worship, um, an offering poured out in thanksgiving for all that what he, all of what he's done for me. I give it back in glory and honor to him. So any thoughts about that with this creation mandate? As New Testament Christians, we approach this creation, these two commands in creation in a different light. Not just are we called to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and exercise God's dominion over it, but in a way we're called to raise up voluntary worshipers of Jesus Christ. Well, so how can, how can we do this? Well, let me just tack on the Great Commission. Does someone want to read the Matthew 28 passage for us? It's, let's see, four verses, verse 16 through 20. Yeah, thank you. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am always with you to the end of the age. So Jesus here, um, right before he ascended into heaven, which we remember and celebrate on Thursday of this last week, and again we commemorate it this Sunday, Jesus um, ascended into heaven. He was taken away on the clouds, but before he left, the last thing he said, his parting words to those first disciples were, I am king and lord over all. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. He is the one who has true dominion over all creation. Do you hear that echo of the creation mandate in chapter 1 of Genesis? And then the second thing he says is, you all go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. That's a command of multiplication, isn't it? Jesus is Lord over all, and go and multiply and make more disciples, more of yourselves, um, following Jesus Christ and calling him Lord and obeying him, obeying all that he commanded us. So we see that these passages, what I would say, they ha- I would say that these passages have both to do with family growth through having and raising children, and then also through growing the church, through living lives of winsome, friendly compassion where we're always ready to give a reason for the hope that is within us. Both of these things lead to spiritual multiplication. And so in our day and age, perhaps, and you tell me, I haven't read any of the parenting books that are out there, but do you find that a lot of Christian parenting books anesthetize your role as parents and say, um, well, you're just supposed to be nice and have babies and make them nice. Some don't even say make them nice. Just be nice to them and they'll become nice. And that, that my parents never said that. But, um, well, this is why I think this language of multiplication, if I can affirm and all the parents in the room, you are doing God's work. You are doing kingdom work. God is glorified through the multiplication, not just of having babies, but of making disciples. You are making disciples in your home. And God is the one who will empower you and cause you to do this 
through the faith that he's given you and through the power of his own Holy Spirit. And this is actually how the church also grows. We find when we look at the church numbers that in the business of church growth, as my father says, my father's a minister, he says, in the business of church growth, having babies is easier than raising the dead. (laughs) And he says this about churches. And this is why he was on a church planting commission when I was a child and we lived in Pittsburgh. They grew 10 churches in 10 years. And they just said, this is what we're supposed to be about as a church is multiplying churches. And he also said, you know, it's actually a lot easier to grow a new church than it is to um, rebuild a church that's already died or thinks it's still alive but is actually dead. So more church growth comes through births even than through conversions. Both are miracles. And so as Christians, we um, this role of raising children, raising children who follow the Lord is really important. And there's a way even, um, even as we're raising children who follow the Lord, we're also engaging in this winsome, compassionate relationship with other people who don't know the Lord. And that's that other form of multiplication, evangelism, and making of disciples. Both are important. Do you see with the math, and again, I'm not a good math person, but do you see how with the math, If you as parents are practicing both kinds of multiplication, what your children will do is that they'll look to you and they'll learn how to be multipliers as well. Because more is caught than taught, I would say. Is that true in in child rearing? I just think of my sister who, um, again, I'm not a terrible, I don't have a lot of scorn for cuss words. I probably should. The words that really uh, bother me are words that take the name of the Lord in vain. But, um, and it was a real problem when I was an acting person, uh, an actor in New York, because you just, it gets in your bloodstream. It's in what you're reading. It's in the scene work that you're doing. So my sister, my sister, I won't say which one has had some trouble with her language, right? And so she was, of course, mortified when her six-year-old um, dropped something, and something came out of her his mouth that sh- she knew exactly where he'd heard it. <laughs> he'd heard it from her, and she thought, "Oh no, if I if I shame him into not doing this, if I punish him for just doing what I showed him how to do, it will be terrible." So she thought, "Well, I will try to um, revert, undo the damage I've already done." And she just said, "Honey, it's ship." P. It's ship. That's that's right. Now you're now you've got it right. Next time you'll do better, I'm sure. More is caught than taught. We can model this kind of multiplication and this kind of new covenant righteousness for our children by the grace of the of the Lord. My father, again, as a minister, we would get so upset going around with him, all four of us. He would take all four of us out with him to give my mother a break. And we'd go to the grocery store. We'd do all the errands. You know, you'd go to the butcher shop. You'd go to the car mechanic and get the oil change. You'd go here and there. And in our small town in western Pennsylvania, every single vendor that we went to knew my father because he had developed a relationship with them over the years. And we didn't want to go because he would talk to them (laughs) forever. He would talk and be so nice. And in western Pennsylvania, that's okay. When we moved back to Boston, um, I would start to do this with people, and they were like, What's, what's your problem? There was a very big cultural difference. You do not talk to people in the grocery store. Um, I even now find myself talking to the vendor in the grocery store, and the cashier's like, 
Okay, keep going. Yeah, the next person is here. It's time for you to stop talking. But that friendliness, even just that friendliness, is a way of opening the door for the gospel, the way of looking out for the other person and looking into the other person's life and seeing them as valuable in the Lord's sight, seeing them as equals. And what it does as you do that is it encourages your children to do that as well. And so this leads us to this question, the second part of our title, who is our neighbor in the Lord? And this word neighbor, um, how many of us know the passages in scripture? We even said it this morning, the first commandment and the second commandment, the greatest commandment and the second greatest commandment. Well, when we go back to the 10 commandments in Exodus 20, we see that the last two commandments are about our neighbor, right? We have a vertical component to the 10 commandments, and then we get this horizontal component. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not cover, covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything else that is your neighbor. Well, we might not be in danger of coveting our neighbor's donkey, but there is this idea underneath that there is this um, command not to plan or do evil against the person who dwells trustingly beside us, as it says in Proverbs 3.29. Underlying this, is, underlying this command is the assumption that there is a relationship of trust necessarily because we live next to each other and we're vulnerable to attack or wrong done by each other. We know the coming and goings of each other. How many of you know kind of like, well, my neighbor has a, this kind of car and my neighbor has this in their house. You know more about your neighbors than you know about anyone else. And so we see all throughout the Old Testament laws, there are laws about not taking advantage of this vulnerability that we see in other people. And the summary of all of these neighbor laws could be seen in Leviticus 19, verse 18b. I think that's on your sheet. Does someone want to read it out loud if you see it there? Is it there? No. I'll read it if no one says they want to read it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Jesus quotes this in the Gospels, and Paul quotes this as well multiple times in his letters, with Paul emphasizing that the neighbor is our, our brother or sister, Christian especially. Um, so there is this idea of you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself from Matthew. Um, so there is this idea that all of those horizontal components of the law are summarized in this loving our neighbor as ourself. Well, Paul talks about, again, our other Christians as um, our brother and sister Christians as our neighbors. Welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God, he says in Romans 15, 7. Or he also says, through love, serve one another in Galatians 5. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. Jesus takes this too. Not only is it about our fellow Christians and others who are in our community of faith, but Jesus takes this command and this um, law, and as he is wont to do, Jesus ramps it up as if it wasn't bad enough, as if we didn't feel convicted enough. Jesus takes it even more inward. He makes it even more severe and serious. And when Jesus talks in Luke um, chapter 10, he's asked by a lawyer, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit life? In chapter 10, verse 25 of Luke, and Jesus says, what is written in the law? How do you read it? 
And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said to the Pharisee, You have answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. And then the Pharisee, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, Here's the, here's, the, here's the rub. Who is my neighbor? He wants to parse it out and be able to say, well, I've done it, I've done it, I've done it, I've done it. Check the box, check the box, check the box on the law. Um, and he can only do that if he's able to designate who is his neighbor and who is not his neighbor. And of course, Jesus then goes on to tell the parable of the Good Samaritan, which we all know very well. And in that parable, the punchline of that parable is that essentially the one who is an enemy of Israel, the one who is hated and despised by the people of God, the Samaritan, he is the one who has compassion on the hurting, um, naked, robbed Jewish man by the side of the road. The Samaritan is the one who stops and takes care of him, even though he was deeply hated by the man he was trying to help. He still stops and takes care of him. And so Jesus even says that our neighbor is the one that is our enemy. Our neighbor is the one that is far away. Our neighbor is the one that makes us deeply uncomfortable. Our neighbor is the one um, that makes us want to go and run and hide. So all of this, it can feel overwhelming. It can feel shaming because when I think about who my neighbor is and how well do I serve my neighbor, I realize that I don't very well. And I realized this um, recently, a lot of what my father did and my father, the way my father and my mother lived out their lives, I see it reflected in my husband, thank goodness. You know, isn't that wonderful when you find good things about your parents that you looked for in a spouse? Well, um, my <laughs> yeah, there are some things that we might inherit that we say, ah, yes, there it is. But um, my parents growing up, see, my, I'll tell first a story about what, the way my parents lived and then about something that my husband did um, while we were dating that just cut me to the quick. And I just thought, I, I am not righteous. This is a righteous man, thank goodness. Well, when I, when I was a child, there were always people coming in and out of our home. Um, Christmas Eve was always spent with a delightful woman in her 70s named Hazel, and her hair changed color every year. But she did not have any family or any children of her own, and she was, she was so old that you knew as a little child when you're around the elderly, you're a little bit uncomfortable, and you just don't know... There are things that they do that make you very deeply uncomfortable. And my parents delighted in putting us in that situation <laughs> all the time. So Christmas Eve, of course, we would have a happy birthday Jesus birthday cake. And the birthday cake, we knew about the birthday cake all day long. We were waiting for the birthday cake. We get birthday cake. It's Christmas Eve, Jesus' birthday, hallelujah. And, of course, Miss Hazel was the one who got to blow out the candles on the birthday cake. And she could not blow out the candles without spitting all <laughs> over the cake. <laughs> and so I just remember as a child being like, here we go. I want that cake too much not to eat it now. <laughs> so I remember Christmas Eve with Miss Hazel. I remember um, Wilson, uh, I won't say his last name because this is re- being recorded and going out on the web. He was an African missionary visiting. And I don't even remember what country he was visiting from, but I remember that before he went back on the plane, what he needed to do, he stayed with us for several weeks. Before he went back on the plane, I just remembered watching him boil a whole pan full of garlic cloves. 
and then he put them in olive oil in a jar and that was his airplane snack for the way for the long flight back to home and we just remembered you I can smell him across the house. Wow, he's going to be stuck in this little airplane. He was very different. And yet he was a brother in Christ who loved the Lord. And it was so good for us to be in that relationship. When I was 15, we moved from a rural town in Pennsylvania to the city in Boston, to Cambridge, Massachusetts. And I remember again, now my father would be engaging in all these friendly relationships. But it was a very different context. And it was a context where we didn't always feel safe. And I just remember my father taking us along with him and encouraging us to walk with him. And he would talk to everyone he saw on the street. And we would try to hide. We didn't want to talk to everyone on the street. And we were scared of everyone on the street. But he would wait. He wouldn't talk to everyone, but he would wait. If he felt like he was supposed to, if he felt like the Lord was leading him to greet someone, he would do that. And I just remembered that there were definitely, when you get to the city, there were a lot of people that are mentally ill. And that's a scary thing as a child. And he would just brush it off. He would just say, you're safe with me, girls. And just remember, it's okay, but one in 10 people in the city struggles with mental illness. And you're gonna see them. And it's gonna be okay. You're gonna see them and we're gonna love them. And it's gonna be okay. Well, Scott, um, fast forward 30 years, Scott in, um, or 20 years at this point, we were in Five Points South, and I had had this experience parallel parking, and I can parallel park on the right side of the street, but when you're parallel parking on the left side of a one-way street, I just And there was this delightful man who did not look like he had taken a bath in a week, and he was gladly helping us park. He was telling me where to go, and I was pretending like I didn't notice, but I was taking notice of his instructions, and I was able to park the car thanks to his help. And my reaction and my response was quick, let me get out of the car because he's going to ask me for money and I know I'm not supposed to give him money because he's going to use it probably on stuff that would not be okay. And I would like to help him with food, but I don't have a granola bar on me and we don't have time to go buy him a dinner. I wanna go have dinner with my boyfriend. So we're getting out of the car and Scott just looked him right in the eye and said, hey man, how's it going? Thanks for helping us park our car. That was really awesome. And then the guys, they talked for five minutes, and I'm ready to go to dinner. And Scott's still talking with him and just encouraging him, greeting him, looking him in the eye, talking with him. And then he said, hey, man, can I have $5 to go do? And Scott was like, I can't give that to you, but I'm so glad to see you. I'm glad to talk with you. I hope you have a good evening. If you need something to eat, we'd be glad to buy you something to eat. He was like, nope, thanks, and kept moving. As soon as he got a note from us, he kept moving. But Scott then said to me, he said, I think it's more important to engage with him like he's a real human being than to do anything else. We're not going to give him any money, but what he desperately needs is our respect, our attention, our kindness. And we can be kind without giving him money. I just thought, this is a keeper. This man is a good man, and I wish I could be as good as he is. Well, so with that in mind, this is how, when we talk about outreach, when we talk about evangelism, when we talk about winsome friendship with people who are very different than ourselves, we're actually talking about an impulse that comes from the same place, and the impulse comes from our security in Christ. We don't have to do anything. The law has been perfectly fulfilled in Jesus Christ. We transgress the law all the time, and he forgives us. 
So this is not about checking the box and about earning God's good pleasure. This is simply about walking in the freedom, walking in the love that he's given us, walking in grace and extending grace and mercy to others who are very different from ourselves. And so it becomes essentially, hopefully, by God's grace, an unselfconscious response to the good news. And so if you feel convicted hearing this and you feel like, well, I've got to do this and this and this and this and this, then you're hearing it wrong. That if the impulse is not there, then it's um, the, the next thing is to fall to our knees and say, God, would you give me that response? Would you give me that grace through your grace? Because I don't have it. So I hope that helps. Um, we're going to turn to a time of question and answers. Um, I just want to introduce... Uh, Naomi Dinalette and Ruth Whitmore, and they're sisters, and we're going to just talk a little bit and ask some questions. They're both a part of the outreach program here at the Advent through their time and effort, through volunteering, through just showing up more than anything else. So, um, would you come and sit and join us here? Thank you. Thank you. They look like, don't they? Can you see the resemblance? <laughs> well, I would you, would one of you tell us, um, I've heard so many stories about your home growing up as we've gotten to know each other and it reminds me of my home by times like five mostly because of the numbers of children is that right how many siblings do you have i'm number eight she's number I'm nine yeah of, so. of nine or of, of nine. nine kids yeah. nine kids so you've already got be fruitful and multiply right here right <laughs> <laughs> um well what did what things do you feel like were valued in your home growing up um with all of the nine of you children, did you get a sense that there was something valued? Or w I'm sure there were a lot of values that you had, but, um, yeah. Okay. Well, um, before I say anything else, anything, I want to say um, that our home was not perfect. It was um, broken, just like everybody's home, and um, there are there are values that I can take away from our home. Um, and the, the biggest one um, was a sense of trust in God's providence uh, because we grew up pretty pretty poor. Um, there were moments where it was worse than others. But um, to be able to trust in the providence of God that he will supply, mm. um, that was something that was valued to, to teach us that we are trusting in God. I mean, I think it was just thrust upon us because of being poor. But, um, and I can say with a sincere heart how grateful I am to my parents for teaching us that and for the family that we grew up in with that. I mean, our favorite, my mom's favorite song, and we sang it all the time, was Simply Trusting. Um, simply Trusting Every Day. I have it written down because I didn't yeah. want to forget it. Trusting Through a Stormy Way, Even When My Faith is Small. Trusting Jesus, That Is All. Trusting as the moments fly, trusting as the days go by, trusting him whatever befall, trusting Jesus, that is all. And we used to sing that as a family at times when, you know, there was, we didn't have food to eat. So um, that that's, that's one value. Mm -hmm. And with that in mind, I think um, my parents came with the, the view that... Um, there's always room for one more. That was my dad's motto. There's always room for one more. Make an extra plate at the table. Bring them in. You know, if somebody needs help, 
Um, do you want to add to that? Yeah, I, I'm just going to say my, my parents weren't the greatest at, you know, like building a beautiful savings account or um, <laughs> you know, if there would be if they would come into some kind of um, gift or, or money, you know what they would do? They would lavishly either give it to somebody or we would have the, the biggest meal and yeah. the best food that we hadn't eaten ever before. Yeah. And that's just how. And another song, I didn't know you were going to say that one, but another song that my mom always sang was Make Me a Blessing. And it's, a, and it's an old Baptist hymn, so maybe you don't yeah. know it. But it's, it's Make Me a Blessing. Um, I'll say it on my phone. Uh, the, the chorus. Make me a blessing, make me a blessing. Out of my life, may Jesus shine. Make me a blessing, oh Savior, I pray. Make me a blessing to someone today. And that was what my mom did. Yeah. She was like, every day, who can I be a blessing to? And that's just how we lived. Every day. And, and yeah. it really kind of impacted us in a really positive way. Now, I've got five, four brothers who are missionaries that are, and... and no, three brothers who are missionaries and two sisters. And uh, are your sisters yeah. also missionaries? Two or of them. Yeah. 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 And your did your parents go to the mission field? No. They, after well, Oak? after I got married, yeah. Well, the last one got married. Right. But so <laughs> growing up, we always heard we would be missionaries if it if it weren't for God's providence pulling us here in the states. We would want to be. So we were always like, all the missionaries that would come to the church, we would have them in. And um, but as soon as I got married, they took off. I mean, they're gone. I mean, like we were taken care of, so they had to go take care of someone else. Yeah. Yeah. So it was literally the week of our marriage, they packed up their house and left and went to Puerto Rico. And we're like, oh, okay, see ya. There you go. And they still do that. They still travel around the world. Yeah. Yeah. Well, how do you feel like that? And you can you can tell on each other if you want. How do you see that reflected in the way your sister lives her life, raises her family? experiences the world. I do I do see that in Yomi's life and and, and house how she opens up her house and, and actually makes it a ministry so that neighborhood kids can come and play and um, every time I go over there there's somebody new I, I haven't met. I love that. <laughs> I just love it. A, a kid, some kid that a parent just drops off and you know, like three hours later, they're still there. Where's the parent? I don't know. <laughs> just invite everybody in. I love that. There's yeah. an extra plate for dinner. Yeah. Well, over the past few years, I've seen Ruth. Um, I'm a very careful person. Like, I, I worry a lot. So Ruth is extremely, like, just whatever flows, just do it. If it feels right, do it. And and there are some amazing things that I've learned from Ruth. And I'll just tell you one story. So Ruth and Bob, are they've always got somebody in their house living with them. It's just it's whether or not the person needs to you know get on their feet or um, just needs some help with a job or something like that. They have people there. So one story was there was this person that came and at Ruth called me and we had met her at the Thursday service and um, that's here at church on Thursday yeah. morning. Yeah. Yes, and that's kind of how we met a lot of people is through that Thursday morning worship and I, I treasure it I love it but um, anyway so Ruth calls me and says I just decided we're, we're gonna have her stay with us and I was freaking out I was so scared I scoured the internet like searching for criminal records and I'm talking this this person it's you know tattoos and buzzed hair and I mean it's it's um, scary 
So, and we didn't know her. Um, and I was just, I was scared for Ruth. And it turned out so beautifully. And it turned out um, that they were blessed. I've been blessed. <laughs> now she's got a place to stay. And we're still, you know, in contact. And um, yeah, so. At the time, thing. at that time, we had the ability to do that. You know, we had a house where, where we could have a person stay, and and they could be their own person, and they could have their own schedule, and you know, and it was a beautiful thing. But now we've moved, so our ministry is going to look differently. I don't know what that's going to be, but you know, I'm I'm just open. Yeah. And I would say it's very or it's a it's an organic thing. Yeah. Like, yeah. um, we're not like I'm not searching for somebody to to um you know, get, go take them to do their check or get their check or, you know, it just happens. Uh And, um, yeah. So I think too, in watching it, it, what I've seen for the two of you is that it develops through relationships and it, so it starts out with the long friendly conversation and, and then from there you're in discernment, you're praying about it, asking the Lord, is this something you want me to do? Your husbands know what you're doing. Yeah. 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 How, so how do they feel about stuff like this? And we're going to go pretty soon. We, uh, we, we know that as a family, we want to do this together. So it's a joint it, calling. Yes. It's not something you're doing off on your own. Or no, something. no. Yeah. It's, it's, it's together. And we always say, who's next? Somebody's next. We don't know who. We don't know the situation. But just being, just asking God to open it, open it up. Open mm-hmm. up your heart give you discernment and he's going to do it. He's going to answer that prayer because that's what he does. Yeah. Eyes to see. Eyes to see the need in front of you and how you might be able to approach meeting part of the need. But some, but what I've appreciated is you don't take it on all the time. So I, I think sometimes there's the danger. If you know anything about the 12 steps, there's the danger with any kind of codependent relationship where then you feel like you're the only one to be able to do everything that needs to get done for this one person. And that's what I've appreciated is that there's a health in that, in the way you approach. Um, the bells are ringing and I haven't given you as much time as I should have given, but I want to encourage anyone to come up and talk with Ruth and Naomi. I want to ask too, what about your children? How do your children feel about this? What do they see you doing? Have they ever felt uncomfortable in situate, we know when you've been ministering to a person in need. Yeah, I, I mean, they, one in particular, he is very careful, like Mama, so he gets nervous and says, "What are we doing?" And we'll explain to him, and, um, and it can, you know, it can get frustrating if we're having to do an extra stop to take somebody somewhere or pick somebody up or have somebody in family time that maybe was coveted as our family time but um, but in the end at the end of the day if we're praying they're going to pray for that person as family and um, so um, you know we just tell them sorry this is what we do mm-hmm. so yeah it, it'll be okay and you'll be thankful later yeah, yeah. <laughs> the, the older one the older one is more discerning the younger ones don't know what's going on so they'll well, just they go with like the, it yeah they'll they just, just go with the flow that's it, right Matthew and and the person that was living with us, they would go paint rocks together outside. Yeah. And of course I'm watching, but you know, but, but faith is like, she's, yeah. um, more careful. She's more thinking, careful. thinking things through. Yeah. Yeah. But she comes up with the most beautiful thoughts and, and, um, she's able to discern things that I don't think a 11 year old should discern, mm-hmm. but it's a really beautiful thing. Yeah. 
because yeah. I don't know. I just want to encourage you if you if you are willing to and you ask God to, to open your eyes and open your heart to somebody, that's what He does. He's gonna He's gonna give you that and let Him come into the chaos of your home. Yeah. You don't have to like. No, there's no cleaning up. There's no let's. Yeah, it's, it's just, just come on in and if you you if can. You, you have a paper plate and have a hot dog. Yeah, you know? exactly. I mean, yeah. Can you share uh, um, the story about the laundry? Oh, yes. Okay, so yeah. the person came in and she was living with us. It was a hard relationship, but I will say it blessed me and Bob more than anything else. One time, the, when the, first, the second day she was here, she was fully help, helping me fold laundry, and she just started weeping. She just started weeping, and she could not stop weeping. And I said, what is wrong? She said, I, I just, I've never, you, I've never experienced this before, folding a little girl's laundry. I've never done that before. And, and she said, I just can't believe how, how, um, how kind you are. And I'm like, you're folding my laundry. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for this folding my laundry. Yeah. <laughs> but this is just the beautiful relation. People, people are searching, they're hungry, they're, they're, they want love. They just want love. They want yeah. they want kindness. They've never had before. She had never had kindness in her life. And 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 if we can do that, that's I mean it's just it gives everybody. I mean every it's a win win. Right. We win, they win, we're all we're all winning. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. I have to close this in prayer and I'm sorry I didn't give you more time. I want to encourage you to come up and talk with Ruth and Naomi if you have questions. I want to encourage you too that this is Again, this is not a law. This is part of what God does in our hearts through grace. Through having received grace, he gives us the grace to offer grace to other people. And he'll show you how to do this, how to live this out in ways that are safe for you, in ways that are safe for your family, in ways that are life-giving. So let's pray. Lord Jesus, indeed, we ask that you would do that, that you would minister to us by your grace, that having received grace, you would give us the grace to pray that prayer, even as Ruth said, that you would open our eyes to see those in need around us, whether we meet them at the country club or the grocery store or on the streets of Birmingham. Would you give us grace to see each person as they are created in you and then to um, to respect the, the image of God in them, the fact that you are represented there somehow, even though marred and broken, even though there's been much sorrow and suffering. And Lord, then would you give us grace to extend kindness beyond ourselves, even kindness that develops into relationships um, beyond just to check the box kind of situation. So Lord, would you be the one to do this in our hearts, in our lives, in our church, for your glory's sake, in Jesus' name. Amen.